0: Fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear based technologies. Here we are, FGGBT. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We got the brain trust assembled. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here Dan, so excited. I'm very excited too. And broadcasting from an undisclosed location as always is our enigmatic engineer Ben Seepser. How you doing Ben? Doing great Dan. Well, it is great to have you guys here because we are doing our third Westworld episode and this is going to be focused on season 3. So we're going to, you know, we're going to try to keep away from spoilers, but we you can't always do it. We're up to season, we're up to episode 5 on this one. So this is, I mean, a lot's really happened in in, in this last episode. There's a lot going on. But before we kind of jump right into the show, what I love about this, and, you know, I'm going to talk about a future episode here. We're going to do The Expanse. Uh, Ben got me into The Expanse. What I love about these two shows is they have just incredible visions of the future. This show takes place in future LA, which I'm very close to because I live there. Um, The Expanse takes place in future New York. I love this idea of how people envision the future. And I think these two shows get a lot of stuff, to me at least, would seem pretty accurate. But I want to know what you guys think. Dennon, I'm going to start with you first. I feel like you, you think about these things pretty often. What does the vision of, of the world future, what does it look like to you from a, from an aesthetic standpoint? Not like socially, but like, you know, what right. is, you know, what does you know, that look like?
1: Well, I think I've, I've come to realize two things. Um there's two potential futures, the one where we're wiped out and the one where we're not. So I'm gonna right, go with the one right. where we're not. <laughs> we're gonna assume uh, that
0: we're we have continued on as a species, right. which in our current present time uh, is a little unknown, dubious, but yes. let's assume that. But what I what I do like about
1: Westworld is I've always felt the future was gonna be clean, not dystopia. I, I don't okay. know if it's the optimist in me or not. And I do think when you think architecture and style. Uh-huh. To me, so much has been determined throughout human history by the building materials we've had okay right yeah yeah okay so you know you you transition from stone to steel to glass if you think about it, we figured out kind of how to build with glass and that's mm-hmm. kind of been the latest transformation in architecture um, and so I envision you know the next generation of very very lightweight very strong materials are going to lead to some very interesting shapes in architecture where buildings, can look almost like they should fall over. Right? Okay. That the, the, that the physics will be a little bit different. I mean, the physics is the same, obviously. Right. But just the the balance and distribution of forces, the, the weight distributions will be varied. And I also, this is what I like about Westworld, a lot of city-based greenery and gardens. We're going to realize that if we're going to be densely packed in cities, mm-hmm. we still need our green space. Right. So yeah, sort yeah. of denser, taller buildings, but more greenery growing on buildings. And and that's going to also be based on the materials we use to build them. We're going to figure out how to integrate organic gardens, grasses, trees, whatever it is, into the mm-hmm. building structures. And the core of that will be the new
0: materials we make. So that's kind of where I was leaning. Well, I love that because you see a lot of stuff coming off of the buildings in Westworld. There's lots of people. Exactly. That's kind of, and- that inspired me and I really felt that caught it well. Yeah, and you see a trend in that in L.A. as you know as well. Ben, what about you? You, you seem like uh, probably middle ground. If I'm a dystopian, <laughs> that's <Yeah>. a word. <laughs> and then as the optimist, where are you fall the spectrum?
2: What I really liked thinking about the latest episode of Westworld is one of the things I thought was really cool was seeing the rocket launches. They were showing mm. that rocket launches were happening, at least they were implying they were happening all the time. And I think that's actually... A really cool vision of the future, you know, 30 something years from now, which is when Westworld takes place, is that uh, space travel will become even more commonplace than it is today. And I really, I really like that view of the future of, you know, people just kind of watching the rocket launches out of their backyard, like it's nothing. Right. Like I really, I really liked that. (laughs) I like seeing that.
0: It's a good image. I mean, well, it's funny because you say more than that we are now because we – you mean – you're not, you're not talking about commercially because obviously we're not launching anything really commercially right now. But you mean like just to see it commonplace, people just taking off and right. going into space as, you know, like traveling to the west coast, to the east coast. Something. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's great. I think that may be actually very possible given where we're going in 30, 40 years. What, what I thought was – what I loved about this from a futuristic standpoint is in both – both this and The Expanse, it, you – People are using, like, they have tablets, right? So everyone has a tablet, Mm -hmm. everyone has a phone, but they still have the thing. Right. They still have a piece of plastic. And in, you know, Westworld, they have these foldable tablets. I like the idea that you'll have a foldable screen. I think that's definitely where it's going. But it just struck me as very weird that we would still have the device, like the thing. I don't know what the future is. I don't think we're holding light like, like green lantern or anything, but I I don't think that there's going to be like a device. You know, I thought that was kind of a a weird thing to do. I don't know if I have a vision for the future. Let's say I don't know what the future is going to look like, but there are certain things that I hope. That I look at our our time now. And like what people in the 1950s thought about the future, right? Like we aren't really taking off in like those rocket-shaped things. You know, we, we aren't really traveling to space now, and people thought we were going to do that in 1950. You know, and and I think that if anything, our medical—I imagine that our, our any major technology technological advancements usually happen in the military or the medical field. And like for things like like a prostate exam, right? Like we're still doing that manually. That seems weird to me. I feel like in the future there's going to be some sort of device that you just kind of like walk into and it takes an x-ray of your prostate instead of like having to do it manually, you know? I feel like that's, <laughs> you know, that's where the future is going to be is medical devices where you're going to be able to like x-ray and, and be able to analyze what's going on in a person's body, whether it's through genetics, whether it's through whatever. That I think is going to be the future from a medical standpoint. I'm ducking the question because I'm not doing the, the, the aesthetics of the world, but I think that was the first thing that popped into my head when we talk about the future. And and as as you know,
1: Dan, that was in the show too. Some interesting, yeah, um, futuristic medical stuff in the ambulances. So yeah, right on. I'll I'll say I I was a very slight part of that. One of
2: the professors I worked with in college, his he was developing th- three dimensional ultrasounds for ah. prostate exams. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean it's it still involves some going up places, right, but.
0: right. I'm surprised no one has figured this out yet. I, I'm, there's got to be a doctor out there who's like, I'm sick of doing it. I'm sick of having it done to me. Let's just figure this out so we can just put this into humanity's history. You know, like that's <laughs> that's where I thought we'd go with this. But, you know, it, it's funny because Westworld is this season, season three, it's so different than the other two seasons. And I, I like it. I don't know where it's going, but it's so different. It's like night and day. It's almost like this very dreamlike David Lynchian movie in a way to me you know, kind of personified by this, in the most recent episode, in episode 5, where uh, Aaron Paul's character gets hit with this, like, psychedelic drug that is so specific that it makes him view the world in movie genres. <laughs> like, it's like this yeah. this hyper, like, it's like specific LSD, you know? And, and that's just, to me, that just felt like the show this whole season in general. Well, I, I think one of the interesting things was how they morphed from
1: a, a show that took place in this fake world mm-hmm. with the hosts yeah and then brought the hosts into our world yeah yeah yeah. Um, and, and I really liked the 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 way they've leveraged, you know you basically bring computers that are designed to operate over a network. Mm-hmm. Into a world controlled by a network, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's the same network, right? It and it makes sense. If I can make a an obs, you know not an obscure reference, I think it always bothered people in Independence Day that the human Mac technology was able to interface with the alien technology and deliver a virus. It's Ridiculous! It's absolutely if people ridiculous. People remember that, right? Yeah, but in this world, because it's all one world. Um, there's no longer Macs and PCs. In in 2052, right. we've moved to a single network architecture. And so the creatures in Westworld, as they come out into the real world, they're still in the same basic network architecture. And I thought that was cool because I think in the future that is realistic. In a world controlled the way this world is controlled, you're not going to have separate operating systems. It's all going to be right. yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, And I like how the, they're coming out of this hyper-controlled world But then the whole point is that in the future, this information system has made it hyper-controlled either way. Like, people are prisoners just like the hosts are. Right, right. And I think that's such a fascinating – I mean, in a way, it is a dystopia. It's a different kind of dystopia, but it's –
1: it's a clean. It's dystopia. a clean dystopia. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, a, to borrow a term from cinema, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction was called a sunlit noir because it wasn't dark and gritty, and this feels like a sunlit right. dystopia. You know, that's in the yeah. and sunny, but there's all <laughs> the dystopian elements are still involved. You know, yeah, Uh, you know, I think it's, I think that's exactly right. What I love here, Denon, is we probably won't get to it, but I want to point out that this show and this season and this episode specifically just nails right into your wheelhouse two of them. Number one, the idea of free will that you have these predictive patterns of people and it's the random events that actually create your your free choice and will.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's even quoted at one point.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know I love that quote and I thought of you immediately, of course. And then how they treat this new computer system as a god because, in a sense, It is predicting and it's the puppet master controlling everyone's behavior, which is another one of your specialties.
1: Yeah. And this is actually the example of a bad God that none of us want. So
2: (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Well, it's just fascinating how while you have free will, you know, you're just controlled like, you know, having everything predicted, you know, it's Gattaca on steroids Mm -hmm. where rather than just being genetics, it looks at everything. Right. And Imagining your entire life being predicted, and then the predictions come true because
1: society just treats you that way. Right? It's, man, yeah, It's the it's ultimate troubled. <laughs> well, it's the ultimate <laughs> Greek mythology of the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You yeah. Know, you're you're you know you're gonna marry your mother and kill your dad. So what do they do? Mm-hmm. They leave you out on a rock to die, but you manage to live and come back and right kill your dad and marry your mother.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, and one of the theme here, because we're going to jump right into that AI stuff. I love the Invasion for the Body Snatchers. I'm reading, you know, Den and you, you and I have talked about our mutual love of Stephen King. I'm reading Salem's Lot. I love this idea of these creatures coming from another world and then slowly replacing us, which is kind of what Dolores is doing through this whole thing. just yeah. knocking people off and making new copies of them and putting her brain in them, which was, you know, pretty crazy. Yeah. All right, so let's get into this, let's get into this AI. I, I, you know, it's funny because I'm a sports fan, as I've mentioned before. And one of the things when we talked about, when they bring up insight, so we're going to talk about two things here. The internet of things is really important, and also this AI uh, that's basically controlling behaviors. I love, I love sports. So when insight was in, was developed, and it's spelled insight, it, when I remember first hearing it, and it, I thought it was insight, I-N-S-I-G-H-T, and then I look and it's I-N-C-I-T-E, which is a great little play on words here for, you know, insight to insight. You know, <laughs> I really like that. You know, as sports, as a sports fan, analytics is crazy crept in and is really controlling how everyone is doing everything. With with Moneyball, people were that's how people were, were getting players and that's how they were new people who had weird stats but if you could hire them for a cheaper amount then they would actually perform better and increase the analytics on your team. I've never loved that about sports. People have brought it into movies and all that stuff. It takes the human element out of it. And in a sense what this program is doing is it's looking at all of people's behaviors and and they they're up. They uploaded and I tell me if I'm getting this right, guys. They uploaded several yotta bytes. I found that in episode five. Yeah I, yeah, I have no idea what that is, but okay. One trillion terabytes. Gotcha. Thank yottabyte. you. <laughs> yeah, that's and it's actually the highest the largest formal data set that you could like the data capacity you could have like that they've conceptualized. But just this idea of analyzing all these people and you're looking at the analytics of human behavior and that it can be that predicted. I I love this, but this was the scariest part of it for me, which then led to people basically having, you know, having scores to get jobs. And then that's how they controlled you. Yeah. You know, I, I, for me, I found it to be the interesting
1: perversion of Isaac Asimov's psychohistory. So in, okay. in Asimov's, you know, foundation series, you get this idea that once you have a, a universe full of people, you have enough individuals that basically statistic mechanics works, right? We, we, mm-hmm. we can predict the behavior of gases because of, you know, the large number of molecules involved statistically. Right. You, you couldn't really predict the behavior mathematically very well of sort of economies and countries because there just weren't enough people. Um, mm-hmm. It was enough... Too many to be predicted individually, not enough to be predicted statistically. So Asimov went that direction. This is really interesting, and it goes the other way and, and says, oh, it takes big data to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and says, well, we can predict and, uh, what people are going to do. What I find interesting is it, and, and Ben, you alluded to this earlier, it, It's the sense you get from the show is it's this weird combination of predicting and controlling. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it mm-hmm. has an idea of the range of your behavior. And the brilliant piece they realized is that if they give you just the right information, they can drive you to the solution they want. Yeah. Which is very different than just predicting the future. So they're very, they're, they're, they're very misleading in that way. And, and, it was really in episode five where we see the first stock market example where you get that. Mm-hmm. They couldn't predict the outcome of the stock market, but they knew the possibilities, and they knew if they had a hedge fund to buy in just the right way, that would be enough to drive everything to the answer they wanted. Right, yeah. So it's this interesting combination of forcing you into the solution they right. want. Yeah. And and it's the
2: simple stuff, right? It's Aaron Paul can't get a job because Insight says he's a risk. Mm-hmm. And... And it's that simple, right? It, it, it doesn't take a lot to, to change the outcome of a single person's life. All you have to do is not give them the opportunities. We have, and we have those problems today. Like, you know, if you are in a bad risk group for getting a mortgage, then guess what? You don't get a mortgage and you keep, mm-hmm. you know, renting and you don't get the opportunities that having a mortgage afford you. Right. Yeah. It's just taking it all to the next level. Of our predictive modeling that we already have
0: today. Well, and the weird thing about that is, what's actually strange is, in a way, in the show it makes sense, right? Like right now, there's a lot of socio, uh, political, racial, economic factors that have existed for a long period of time where certain groups exist where they are, and there's a lot of societal pressures and, and things like that it's harder to break out in Westworld. They, it's all based on genetics, which in some way you could say this is the hard science reason why we have to keep this person from reproducing. Let's say, right? Like they have one of them. I was, I was pausing it on some when they on some of the screens, and one was, you know, recessive traits detected, keep from reproducing. You know, it, it was just it, one, you know, one they predicted suicide because she had a genetic premarker for for depression or whatever. And, and yeah. it's the same outcome. It's the same, you know, uh, whatever is you want to attach to it. It's the same keeping and oppressing a society. But now you're using science uh, that that's hard to, from, a, from an objective standpoint, hard to reject, which that's the scary part to me.
1: Well, and I think, yeah. Dan, that's the mistake we often make. We call things objective that really aren't, right? Mm-hmm. All of these things are still probabilities right from the beginning right? yeah, And they're all ranges of things. And that's what they do, is they take this wide range of probabilities and, and remove your actual choices and lock you into certain paths forward. And right. then go, see, we told you, this is what you were. I mean, Ben, I think right. you said yeah, it yeah, very yeah. well. It's, yeah. it's the self-fulfilling prophecy side, masked you know as science it's it's kind of like That's we right. yeah we, we look back now wow. and we laugh at the people that read bumps on heads to predict whether you were criminal or not right
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: you know yeah.
0: in the moment it was right. science right.
2: and then if they treat you like a criminal guess what you're going to end up being a criminal
0: <laughs> and some idiot in the medieval times like me was saying like well it's objective fact that of course this <laughs> happened yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah
2: it, it, it's it's that self-fulfilling prophecy is what makes it so scary yeah. cuz If there's a company that has this data and sells it to a background checker, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who's checking backgrounds or someone who's, you know, there are people who will buy that data and then make decisions on your life based
1: on your highest probability. And that's all it takes. Yeah. So the fascinating thing for me, which I'll be curious where the show goes, is I, I feel like what the host and Dolores has proven is that you can take your loop and when you fully understand it make a new and unique choice and go in a different direction and i think i'm going to be curious to see no. if they explore you know explore any of that when you when you give people the full information that before was used to lock them into a path can they use that information to choose new paths and make an actual different outcome cuz now they know they're not locked to a single thing you know it's a breadth of options so i, I think that's a fascinating yeah. Way to go with the technology. I think that's how you ultimately break the dystopia of AI and and try and make it a little more positive. But it's really hard to do, and it's really tricky. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because in some ways—I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. In some of the ways, I like this idea of a computerized communism— where you can take people and if you can objectively, if that's possible, I'm still <laughs> going to use that word right now. But let's say you could objectively kind of analyze their skill sets and you were able to assign them in a job that would be good for them and most fulfilling and they would be most productive. And that includes mental well-being as well. But that that to me, does that seems like a good thing to do. So, for example, like in episode five, Serac says – you know, we've got all these people here, they're they're on the fringes of society, but we're going to put them into places like war where they can, you know, basically where the wood chipper of life will get rid of them or whatever, right? Like people, now, now I'm not saying that, but like, for example, psychopaths or serial killers in the world, okay? It's hard, they have a hard way of fitting into society, right? <laughs> like they do something that most people objectively, I'm going to say the word again, find to be... Um, Uh, repulsive definitely anti-societal you don't want serial killers walking around in normal everyday society working next to you however we do like them in the military right so in the military there's a lot of people who are patriotic who are like i want to be the good guy i want to do the right thing i want i believe in my country i want to do that not all of them are super excited to go and murder people (laughs) you know what i mean and 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 i think if you could somehow reassign like people who are psychopaths, in that respect, murdering psychopaths and put them into the military, send them off to war, that would be an asset and I don't know that that would necessarily be a bad thing. Well, I'm not sure that I would pick the psychopath example, Dan. It's a good example. It's a good example. Okay, but
1: on the other side, what I, what I think what, – yeah. what, what you're saying is, is sort of where I was going. The challenge with this AI is the what Ben pointed out is they, they only put in the negative feedback loop. You have a low score, so you yeah. never end up with any job, right? As right, opposed right, right, yeah. to what I would call the good AI is, here's five things that you would be really good at. I'm picking five arbitrarily, and that would make mm-hmm. you happy. Go ahead and pick one of the five. So now you still have some agency. You're picking something because, you know, the AI is never going to exactly right what you like the most. But by having some choice, some experimentation, and a range of things, however small, you can imagine – um, and I don't know what the sweet spot number is for choices and all of that, but you could imagine, I think, the direction you're going where people just have a better idea of what it is they would like to do, and it helps them make decisions. After all, Amazon does that for us now. It tells us what we would most likely like to buy next. Right. And and many times it does make us happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up these real-life examples and Ben you, you alluded to is a great segue because there are a couple of what you need so the the building blocks, the foundation of any sort of AI that's making these predictions is the data on our behavior. And there are lots of really things that are that are like the little seedlings going on right now that could very easily grow into that. The first one is a company called Clearview AI, which is being used by FBI and law enforcement agencies. The brilliance of what this company does. So it's this, it's basically like your, almost your comic booky television show, super shadowy organization that's very hard to find anywhere. But all, you know, it's th- th- not even just like local law enforcement, federal law enforcement's using it. They have basically scraped the internet for pictures. So it is the ultimate facial recognition software. They're able, if they take a picture of you, they can put you into this system and pull up every place you've ever been based on if you've had a picture taken of you. This combined with security footage, with, you know, red camera lights, they can basically track your movements wherever you've gone. There was a great New York Times piece on this where basically the reporter who was doing it was was talking to these law enforcement agencies. And one of the police officers said, hey, we're looking for this you – know, a guy who was in you know, a, a piece of child pornography. We got a, like three seconds of his face. They threw it into the system, Right. A picture, they found him because someone in a gym had taken a selfie and his face had reflected off the mirror in the gym. They went to the gym and asked the people. So the people who worked there said, oh, we can't do that. We're not allowed to say. One of the people there decided they were going to break that rule and then told the police officer who he was. And that's how they caught him using this technology. But you can imagine how this can be abused very easily and how it could morph into what we're talking about here. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. The other thing, other really quickly, 23andMe and Ancestry.com. People will send their genetic information to find out their history, things like that. A lot of people do this for medical reasons. A lot of these databases are being used again by police officers to find cold cases. So what's kind of cool and kind of scary about it is when you submit your genetic information, it can find out where you are on the family, on, on a family tree. And by family tree, I mean humans family tree. And they can, they found like, I think they found, uh, the golden gate killer or something like this. Basically someone from his family had submitted DNA that was close enough to him where they were able to find, track him down and find with like a 99% accuracy. These things are extraordinarily scary. And one last thing, there's a smart AI. I put this on my Twitter feed. Basically, you put this into your toilet, and it actively will analyze your fecal matter for any sort of problems, health problems going on with you. If that's uploaded to the cloud, now you've got your face, you've got your genetics, and you've got ongoing medical information that people can access immediately. How is this not this the nugget for insight? No, I, I think we're we're close, and that's
1: why it's so important. To move even more rapidly on the ethical and the control side, and how we make it positive, yeah. so we don't end up right. um, in Westworld, uh, in the in the sunshiny dystopia that it is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: well, and, and they talk about that in the in the show how the database insights based on. They like the data was collected before the privacy laws. Yeah, they did say that. Yeah. yeah,
0: no, that was that that was a scary thing. Well and that's kind of I mean, everyone is realizing how important and how you know how lucrative your data is, your behavioral data. And once that gets monetized, and w- once it's there, it's there. No one's going to delete this stuff, even if they're told to delete it. The only way yeah. you know it's being deleted is someone firebombs it and all the copies people made in case someone <laughs> firebombed it, right? So you have, like, it never goes away. Mm-mm. All right, so moving on to some. Let's move on to something a little more fun. One of the other really cool things in the show that I loved were these, like, drone ships. And by drone ships, I mean, basically, it's a transportation device, like an airplane, but it looks like the drones we used to, like, the camera drones that have their four propellers that kind of move like, that i love this idea and i'm actually surprised that both drones and a helicopter like this i'm sure the military has has things like this but why they're not more mainstream because it seems like something we would have figured out before now well i would i'll I'll, I'll defer to ben for the final word on this but i really
1: think it's ultimately a a sort of fuel power weight to um lift ratio right that that probably you know you can have Small ones and really big ones. And it's the car size one that, you know, to get that optimum... You know, the basic physics is sound, right? Okay. But but you just... I think it's a purely engineering problem to get the right fuel source before we have flying cars like that. And I think we've we've sort of done enough Harry Potter, flying brooms, you know, and flying Mm. cars that I, I have become convinced over all of our episodes that that is what the flying car of the future will look like. It's going to be fundamentally a quadcopter when we solve the power source. That's my – I don't like mm. to make predictions, but I'm, I'm going to make that prediction, and then if it doesn't come true, claim I never made it. Right, right. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Ben, what do you think? I mean, I, I so has it always been a power issue?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a power issue. So
2: first of all, I think it will be probably like a octocopter for redundancy. But
1: <laughs> Oh, that's engineer thinking right there. Man. Yeah, well, not if we don't have safety laws. Then we'll get the quad ones. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, The the big problem is doing it with batteries. Mm. Like Mm. it's easy to do this stuff with gas engines. Like helicopters are compact. Um, they're easy to you know they they fit in in you know small places. Like there's very small helicopters that only weigh you know on the order of hundreds of pounds to thousands of pounds. But the the problem is once you try to lift you know a couple hundred pounds with batteries. You need really big batteries, and batteries just are not energy-dense compared to gasoline. And so you have this fundamental energy problem that you either can't fly for very long, which, you know, that might not be a problem if these things are just taking you from, you know, rooftop to rooftop. You know, you might Mm. only need 10, 15 minutes of flight time, and then, you know, it all works out. But, yeah, it's a fundamental problem of the batteries, You know, if you want to do it with, you know, electrical power rather than, you know, internal combustion engines, which clearly the Westworld ones are because I didn't see any exhaust or. Right. (laughs) And and also fundamentally, it doesn't really make sense to do like a gas quadcopter because doing a bunch of little internal Mm, internal combustion engines are much more efficient the bigger it is. And so, you know, maybe you would do like a generator with then a bunch of electric motors um, kind of like how diesel electric trains mm. work. Like diesel, yeah. like a diesel engine for a train, the diesel engine doesn't actually drive the wheels. It actually goes to a generator and then to a motor, mm. an electric motor, because of the way torque curves work. Right. The electric motor is a lot better. Um, so maybe you would end up doing something like that. But there's, there's no exhaust. That was the beauty of 2050 Westworld time is... Everything seemed to be electric, right? <laughs>
0: that's, why that's why it looks so the air, beautiful. The air
2: was very clean. Yes.
0: Was very, that's very. Yeah. That's how you get that sunlit part of that sunlit dystopia. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you. So here's what's crazy: is I've got three examples of not only are these things possible, but there are. Well, let me get into them. So one, there's was a company called AcuBed has this has a pro, It's called Project. Project Vahana, and it's an all-electric, self-piloted, vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. And this looks almost exactly like a drone, except the propellers are located on the back of the plane. But but other than that, it looks like just like one of these drones. There's a company called both Uber and and Lith- uh, Lilium Jet. Lilium Jet has a very unusual design. It's got 36 electric engines. But both of them, and Uber's working with a company called Heliflight. So Heliflight and Lilium Jet are both they're both companies that are essentially have an app where you can sign up and then they come grab you, pick you up, and take you to where you need to go. So not only are these possible, the idea of these being not only not only transportation vehicles, but but ones you can call on an app like a taxi. Once that infrastructure gets into place, I think this will become very commonplace. Maybe people won't own one. I know Denon, you're a big flying car guy, no. but maybe people will use them very often. Well, yeah, and
1: I, you know, you mentioned it, and it strikes me. I really liked how in Westworld almost everything is something you get by an app mm-hmm. no one seems to own a car anymore yeah right which is kind of and interesting. they didn't even call it a car yeah the car
2: they called it a ride share yeah. it was like get me a ride share yeah yeah, yeah.
1: you know it's the ultimate and I, I you know i i used to think like i i wanted my car that i didn't have to drive that i could just you know get in get on the freeway and go someone pointed out to me that's called a train um <laughs>
0: yeah but but these are kind of
1: single car trains that you know are automated and even as 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 we pointed out at one point the motorcycles can be automated this way and i think that's Mm -hmm. really cool and and clearly they they use a lot of cool physics to stay balanced um i i love i'm I'm sure there's like really big flywheels generating the right amount of torque and angular momentum so that they just can't tip over um yeah, are, how, how are yeah. torque
0: curves? Are those an issue with those? I know torque curves are kind of the bane of an engineer's existence when it comes to drones, from what I understand. Uh, <laughs> so for the motorcycles? You yeah, mean? I don't know. I just wanted to say torque curves. But yeah, but, but the auto-driving motorcycles, I mean, the, the gyroscope, the balance is what's tricky in that. The, the balance is definitely tricky. I mean, the good thing about,
2: about motorcycles is the faster you go, the more balanced they are. Hmm. To, to up to a point, you know, at, at a point they're going so fast that, you know, a little bump is, you know, it'll jostle it and it'll be a problem. But yeah. the, the great thing about going quick on a motorcycle is as your wheel is going faster, the gyroscopic effect or gyroscopic effect uh, that fights, that keeps you upright much harder because you have more angular momentum in your wheels the faster you go and in order to, you need would need a lot more energy to to upset that angular momentum. Um, And so, therefore, you can stay upright a lot easier if you're faster.
1: And and with these, because they're sealed, I just imagine there's a separate flywheel sitting in the body somewhere, spinning super fast to keep it stable.
2: Yeah, what's really interesting is when it's crawling along... Like in the yeah. pickup zone at the <laughs> building, that's actually the hard part, right. not the going quick on the road. Well, and, she, and
0: Dolores, when she's on that thing, she's blasting down the road, so falling off is not yeah, a big. Yeah, that problem. part's
2: fine. Yeah. It's it's the
0: it's the slow approach to pick you up that's a problem, right? I, I remember I and and no, when you're learning how to ride a bike, that is when you realize the faster you go, the easier it is to stay on, which all yeah. these things come into play. Uh, which is, I got some funny stories about that. So one, I wanted to talk about one other thing here. Some of the biology in this is really cool. I, I know we mentioned this before. We won't talk about it, but I love the meat packing plant scene where they have all these tubes going into this this meat production plant. And the idea, I, I imagine the idea is something that like all meat is grown in test tubes or grown like in a lab, and then they just you know they still have butchers that kind of pack it for people. But I love that right. idea. But one of the cool things is as. So Caleb has this military mouthpiece that's in that really kind of control, it must control all, I don't know if it controls all of it, because in the scene where he's getting beat up, they find it and they kind of, they kind of, excite his adrenaline glands which seems very that seems like something the military would want to do is to have control over someone's adrenaline so i don't know how many other chemicals that it, that it manages but I, this is kind of a crazy idea to have this kind of technical piece in your mouth where you can if it doesn't control it doesn't just vi- monitor your vital signs but it can control them as well
1: well i think that's an uh, interesting direction from a drug delivery point of view right like a lot of technology right now Drug delivery is, is. Kind of risky or random. Th- there's different ways to do it that may or may not work well. Mm-hmm. And 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 I th- I believe we see that device. And I and I have to go now. You know, Dan, you mentioned uh, periodically only you know missing sixty percent of what happens in shows. No, um, only miss forty th- percent. Miss oh sorry, percent. missing forty percent, catching sixty yeah, percent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sixty forty um, other way. Yeah. So I have to make sure I saw it right. But I I feel like these delivery devices were used in many places. You know, in the nursing mm-hmm. home for his mom. Um, mm-hmm. just for recreational drugs and some of the parties. And that, you know, the key for his was it was military grade. So mm-hmm. it presumably could do a lot more and be more precise. And other people used it just for simple drug delivery. But but if you think about it, you're, you're really close to the brain mm-hmm. in, in, in the mouth. And mm-hmm. I can imagine, um, you know, that this is, um, for a lot of what you want to deliver, uh, a, a very efficient way to get the drugs, the right drugs exactly where you want uh, to control the things you're doing. Um, And maybe you're doing it by using the brain's own self-control mechanisms. You're sending electrical pulses to the brain that are releasing internal chemicals in very interesting and controlled ways. So you don't actually have to add... External chemicals. That right. would be kind yeah. of cool.
0: Well, no, and I think that that's very true. I just, I love this idea of being able to just control everything in your mouth, essentially, like a retainer, and just, you know, it's a very efficient way to kind of deliver everything or at least control it. Like, you know, if something's going on with your chemicals, you just pop in your mouth and beep, boop, boop, you know, or m- m- turn a little dial. I-, I like that. I thought that was cool. One of the last thing we're going to talk about really quickly is the, what the, the, the blood, seems to have a lot of different uses in Westworld. It's used as kind of encryption. People are using it to kind of change their identity. Uh, You know, Dolores basically goes to a a blood generator, a blood—she's called a mortician, but she supplies her blood that changes her identity. Forget the silly paperwork with Social Security cards and all that (laughs) stuff, birth certificates. Forget that. Just get some new blood. This is kind of interesting because my favorite part is the encryption, where they basically steal this um, kind of this this investment banker's his uh, his blood and they give Caleb the ability to kind of log in as him. what how would this work? and is this a real possibility for the future or is it too complex uh, to really be viable? I'll say two things about it first. Um, one, I think at a core
1: level, it's viable. We're already Doing it we've mentioned in other episodes, and I just plug UCI here there 's a lot of biodetection we can do through the skin of what 's going on in your blood and the state of the molecules in your blood um, and in fact, you know the biometric devices we wear, you know the apple watches and such that that monitor our 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 vital signs and things and oxygenation levels, you can imagine it gets sensitive enough to detect marker molecules in your blood mm. on the flip side, the negative. It, it, what struck me is, you know, in the show they talk about the markers degrading because they were exposed. I'd be more curious about the dilution. I mean, Dolores doesn't put a lot of blood into Caleb,
0: right? Yeah, it's a syringe worth. Yeah. you know,
1: why isn't that marker so diluted? It's 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 undetected compared to whatever his regular identity is. So I think using it to steal identities might actually be harder than they make it out to be. So it might not be such a bad biomarker at some level
2: yeah i got the solve for this i, I i've got it figured out <laughs> so so my thing is the, the degradation means you actually have an implant in your body maybe it's your roof of your mouth mm, thing okay that's generating the markers and in mm. is putting them into your bloodstream mm. and that's because otherwise why wouldn't they degrade in your blood too right like unless it's like some sort of immune reaction where you know your white blood cells are killing the other person's mm, right yeah, you know encryption keys, but I don't think it's a good idea to use DNA as an encryption an encryption key either because one it's not really precise enough, but it also you know if you sample the wrong blood cell or your chimera there's there's a lot of problems where you might lose your key so or epigenetic issues, so I think what makes sense to me is that. They found out a way to implant a key in your bloodstream through technology and so my guess is she pulled it from his neck so she pulled it you know right from the source mm. where it's in much higher concentrations and then
1: that's how it I, I like that Ben I like that um, and it combines the cool mouthpiece with a cool technology but but it still has the horrible problem
2: of like are you dropping your encryption key you know anytime you like Cut yourself, and or
0: what about blood transfusions? I mean, how do those work? I love your solution, and Denon likes it as well. I don't mean to throw a monkey wrench in this, but then how does Dolores just by getting a couple pints of this other woman's blood? How does she then gain that person's identity? Did she get the marker, the marker generator as well? Is that that would be the the solution?
2: Maybe, yeah. That's a, that's a good question. She's smarter than great us. question.
0: So. <laughs>
1: She, so by being smarter than us she figured it out. No, but I think you're right. She gets the blood, she pulls out the marker, figures out how to synthesize it and then has herself generate it. Well, I got Ben still has a quizzical look. I think I still stumped him.
2: I think that's fine. I mean, th- there's no reason she couldn't have stolen one of these marker generator yeah. gadgets too and put them in her body. Sure. I mean, she must have done it for, well, well, it's not clear that the other copies of her are um as have their identities as robust as hers is
0: exactly that's my point that is my yeah. point uh, but I think you know leave it to the enigmatic engineer the mad our mad scientist to figure this one out to crack this code all right so I love the way you combined everything into the mouthpiece and the and the blood this is this is a really great solve. Uh, I can't imagine anyone's going to come up with a better solution than that. But if people want to give it a shot, you want to take on the Enigmatic Engineer yourself, you can do that in a couple of places. If you want to do it, we can tweet us at the show, at pod. We're on Facebook, at FGGGBT. You can talk to us individually. Again, our Enigmatic Engineer, Ben Seepser. where can people get in touch with you on social media?
2: You can get in touch with me on all the major social media networks, at b B.Siebser. How do you spell that? B S I. E P S C R.
0: And I recently learned that that is also your GitHub, which is the, one of the social media. It's not really social media, but that is a perfect place to find you because this is a lot of technical information. Um, yeah. his, his <laughs> your plans for Insight are probably up there as well for download. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for sure. The whole algorithm. <laughs> the whole, whole thing. Uh, it's all open source tech. Denon, how can people get in touch with you? Well, you can get me uh,
1: Twitter and Instagram at Denon Michael. Just reverse my name. And then uh, Facebook, I'm at ProfDen and Michael.
0: That's where I always try to find you, at ProfDen and Michael. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm on all those things as well. And on Twitter, I am at Daniel J. Glenn. I am at Glenn on Instagram and at AnalyticalMastermind on Facebook. Now, everyone who's listening, remember, we talked about a lot of dangerous stuff here. You want to be like our ethical enigmatic engineer, Use to stuff responsibly. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time, thank you for listening fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies is a glenn co-production and is produced by me daniel j glenn the fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies introduction was produced by daniel j glenn and paul springers with music and sound design written and performed by paul springers if you love the show you got to subscribe you don't want to miss an episode you can find us on all the major podcasting platforms like apple podcast google play TuneIn, stitcher and spotify you can look for us there or if you want easy links go to the website fggbt.com that's fggbt.com that's the hub for everything f3gbt. links to subscribe at the bottom you can get our newsletter you can find social media links to the episode for the show and for each individual episode you hear us we talk about in real life we got news articles we got videos you can find that all on the website at the top organized by episode we got stuff on youtube everything's there That's the place to go, FGGGBT.com. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do, go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.